Well, good morning. I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12 is where we are this morning. If this is your first Sunday, we are engaged in the study of the Gospel of Luke, making our way thought by thought through that Gospel. And we are here in chapter 12 this morning after a little, couple of little excursions, but last week a little break in looking into Hebrews and looking at the issue of love and, and what it was that the Pharisees had missed as we were unpacking this tension that exists between Jesus and the Pharisees. And today, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of Luke 12. And as you're getting settled... I would like to just read those verses for you. Let's just follow along as I read Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy it is to be reminded of the cross, to be reminded of the forgiveness that we have that You have taken our sin and our shame and, and have exchanged it for Your righteousness because of Your great love. And, and Father, it's just such a joy to have that as a backdrop as we now engage Your Word. And Lord, as we gather under Your Word this morning, may it conform us to the image of Christ. May it motivate us to proclaim that great news of the Gospel to the world. Thank You, God, for the privilege we have of gathering. May we bring glory to You. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are gathered here in chapter 12, and this is a very, very important section here in the Gospel of Luke, and, and I'll explain to you why. As this Gospel is unfolding, you know, it's, it's led up, in cha- up to chapter 11 where Jesus had this huge confrontation with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees, and he pronounced curses upon them. He says, woe to you, woe to you, you guys are hypocrites, and, and he just is really strong against them. And this is the point where that huge confrontation happened and now everything changes. The religious leaders have set their face against Jesus. They're ready to go after Him. They're going to try everything they can to discredit Him and eventually kill Him. 
So they're at this, this intense moment. And it's at this moment that Jesus begins to give instructions to His disciples about how to carry on the mission. The context is changing. The environment's getting tougher. And He wants them to stay faithful to the mission. Now the question is, how do they remain faithful to the mission? They've got all kinds of pressures coming against them. And so He wants them to understand how to navigate through those pressures, how to navigate in, those, in that time. And so he gives these set of instructions. And these first 12 verses are, are, are very important set of instructions in which Jesus is preparing the disciples to live on mission. And he's dealing with something. He's actually dealing with something much deeper than false teaching. When I read that, you could see kind of the initial thing. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And it would seem like he's saying, hey, don't buy into legalism or don't buy into their, their false teaching. And, and that's true, but that's really not the essence or the heartbeat of what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is actually addressing something very important for the disciples and I would say really important for us as well. What he's addressing is really the issue of fear. You might say, Steve, how in the world do you get this fear thing? You'll see in a minute what I'm getting at. But, but, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to get them to recognize something. In this world, if we're going to live on mission, which is our goal, right? The goal is to live on mission, right? That the, the end goal of life is not just to collect all the right doctrines, reject all the bad doctrines, and go to heaven doctrinally accurate. That's not the end goal. The end goal of all that we learn is so, is so that it would conform us to the image of Christ so that we might live as ambassadors of reconciliation to this world. That we might be able to proclaim to the world everything we just talked about at the Lord's table, what Chris just brought us through. That we would be reminded of God's great love in which He's reconciling people to Himself. He's able to reconcile people to each other. He's able to save the worst of all sinners. He's able to save anything and bring families together, bring marriages together. We have a ministry of reconciliation. And we're to live on mission that way. The whole point isn't just to be accurate. The whole point is to be active. To go on mission. Yet, there are fears that keep us from going. There are fears that keep us from going. Huge fears. And those fears, if we give in to them, leave us susceptible to false teaching. If the fears own us, then we become susceptible to false teaching, and that false teaching will always keep us away from mission. That's what's really at the heart of this. So he's trying to get them to deal with their fears. Now, if you think about it, what are the fears that get in the way of mission? I could come up with three of them. There's probably more, but, but let me just throw out three of them. Three of them I think we'll see in this text. We can come up with this fear of the fact that we can fear what people think about us, right? What would keep you from proclaiming Christ? Fear of people. It's, it's a fearful thing. I've been in restaurants with people, and, uh, and I start talking, and of course my voice gets loud no matter what, and, and then all of a sudden I start saying something, I say, well, can I pray for the meal? And I see people get you know, occasionally a little afraid, like, oh my, everybody's going to know we're praying, and I'm a little afraid of that, and they get a little tense. Right? We're just afraid of what people think. We start talking about life and stuff, and then we start talking about Jesus, and we whisper it, you know, because we're just afraid, and that's a fear sometimes that keeps us from, from being on mission. There's another fear that we have. We could fear our own safety. We could fear our own future. It's a risky thing 
to be on mission in this world because we have to love sinners and sinners hate. They hate people. They react to it. Some are in cultures where believing in Christ would cause them to lose their life. In our culture, it might not cause my physical death, but it does cause me to have to die to myself and love someone who might not love me back. And I can be afraid of that. And that could keep me from going on mission. I can also be afraid of this third one. What to say. Right? What to say. How, how do I actually do what Jesus calls me to do? Right? I, I don't have confidence. I don't have the words. I'm not a skilled orator. I can't talk. I, I, if I get in that situation, I don't know what to say. I haven't learned enough. Right? See, those are fears that keep us from going on mission, aren't they? They're fears from keeping us living for Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing with those fears. If we allow those fears to own us, then the theology of the Pharisees becomes actually attractive. False teaching that they have, and we'll unpack their theology here in a little bit, that false teaching actually becomes attractive. And what Jesus wants, doesn't want that fear to own them. So that that teaching and that kind of worldview would become attractive to them. So he wants them to fear the right things. We're going to have to, we all have fear. Fear isn't going to go away. It's a reality of life. We all have it. But the question is, where are we going to place it? Where are we going to put that fear? So we'll look at this today. Now in order to do this, let me set the context. Let me kind of place this thing in, in its context. Jesus now is hitting this very interesting point where there's pressures that are going to come or that are coming upon the disciples and him. There's three pressures, in fact. The first is just the pressure of the people. We saw there as I read it, thousands of people are coming upon Jesus. He is a rock star right now. Everybody's trampling to see him. People are just rushing to get in his presence. Could you imagine being a disciple in that context? Could you imagine that? You have backed the winner if you're one of the disciples. You are there, man, and, and, and this is it. The crowds are coming, and you are on the top of the world. Everyone, this is the Messiah, and we're hanging with them, and, and, and here we are. This is a very real pressure, and what comes with that kind of pressure but fear of people, right? This is what the Pharisees had. Their problem was they wanted to be liked and accepted among the people. And as a result, they backed away from truth. That's one pressure. There's a second pressure that's going to come up upon them. And that's the religious leaders. They're now going to start going after Jesus to try to uh, discredit him and, 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 and undo his work. And this is pressure of, of persecution that's going to come upon them. Very intense pressure. That's growing. There's a third pressure that is soon to be growing as the pages of Luke begins to unfold. Uh, and Jesus is, in, is going to anticipate this pressure. In his, in his lessons to them, it's the government. The government's going to come upon him. Jesus will be arrested. He will be brought up on a trial. Now, in all of these situations, you've got the, 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 the pressure of popularity, you have the, the pressure of persecution, and then you have the pressure of confidence. What are you going to say if you are arrested? Will you have the words to say? All of those pressures are coming upon him. What Jesus is saying, listen guys, I want you, in the midst of those situations, to not let those fears own you. I want your fears to be in another place. He's going to teach them how to do this. And if your fears are in the right place, then 
you won't make the bad exchanges. What are the bad exchanges? You'll see them in your outline. It's, it's how, what I think Jesus is telling them. Four things here. He says, don't sacrifice reality for appearance. If your fear is in the wrong place, you're going to sacrifice reality for appearance. I'll explain that in a minute. Don't sacrifice the soul for the body, which is easy to do. Right? I'm going to value my body and my, my, my life here, and I'm going to sacrifice my soul for that. Don't sacrifice Jesus for religion. See, the world accepts spirituality, but they don't ex- accept the exclusive claims of Christ. And don't sacrifice the Spirit for self-defense. The Spirit of God will be there helping you say what you need to say. So that's all here. These are all the pieces. Hopefully this will, will come clear as we go through this. But the issue, and here's what I want you to catch in the midst of all of this. What I want you to see today... So I want you to, to have two things happen. One, that God would show you areas of your life where you've got your fear in the wrong place. And then that would lead to the second thing, that the Spirit of God would show you today the right place to put your fear. I'm not going to tell you that this world is without fear. What I want to show you is that you've got to have your fear in the right place. That's the lesson of Jesus. Let's see if we can see this here. Let's look at the first thing he tells them. Don't sacrifice reality for appearance. Look at verse 1. It says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will, that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So you could just picture this moment, right? Everybody's just crowding, right? Thousands of people. And notice they're trampling one another. You know, some of you might not have this image in your mind, but I just thought of the Beatles, right? Remember those old pictures of the Beatles running through? Crowds just running in and trying to touch these guys. I'm picturing that kind of setting where you've got this, this just a large amount of people just gathering in on Jesus. And Jesus has got his 12 disciples. I'm not even quite sure how this whole conversation happened because you could imagine the crowds pressing in on them And Jesus has got us 12, and he's trying to tell us 12, guys, there's some things you need to know as we face this situation. Very important things. And you've got to catch this. You've got to live for the right things. And so he tells them, the first thing he tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, Jesus just had this confrontation with the Pharisees. And he's just told the Pharisees what the truth of the matter is. He's told them what their problem is. In fact, in Luke 11.39, here's their problem. And the Lord said to them, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not He who made the outside make the inside also? But give alms to those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now here's what He's saying. He's saying you guys were more concerned about your religious appearance than the condition of your heart. And that's the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees is this, that we can get comfortable with a certain set of sins. We can get comfortable with bitterness. We can get comfortable with anger. We can get comfortable with pushing people away. We can get comfortable with building walls. We can get comfortable with sins and not actually deal with them. And then what we do is we we, we then focus on just all of the outside stuff. All the stuff I want to do for God. All the good. I can teach Sunday school. I can do this. I can do that. I have this whole litany of things that I do. But what I'm going to do is this part of my heart, I'm going to hold it off and I'm, it is not open for inspection. It is not open. 
Period. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. It's more concerned with appearance than the reality of your heart. What he's saying is be careful. That's leaven. What's leaven? Leaven is that thing in the dough that makes it rise. You don't need a lot of it. Put a little bit in there. It works underneath. You don't see it working, but next thing you know, it impacts the whole lump. So he says that's sin that you get comfortable with. That little bit of sin that's there that you say, I'm not going to deal with that, is leaven. And what it becomes is hypocrisy. And if you wall that sin off and you say, not touchable, that's your problem. Now you see what happens is, why did the Pharisees do this? What, what, what drove them to do this? What drove them to do this was, was they loved people. Jesus told them that. You, you love the applause of people. Right? You're more concerned about what people think about you than the real condition of your heart. That's fearing people. That's saying, I want to be popular. I want to be accepted. I don't want to be seen for who I really am. So I'm going to hide this part of me. And when I come into the people of God, rather than dealing with these issues, I'm going to just wall it off and come off a certain way. I want to appear a certain way. Remember many years ago, different church, different setting. Um, I was on staff at a church and there was a girl who was in sin. Really bad sin. She was doing horrible things. Now, there were people in the church that were very much concerned about this. And so some, some girls went and confronted her. And they were following Matthew 18, which says, first go alone. And then Matthew 18 says, widen the circle a little bit. So they brought in more people to confront her. She wouldn't listen. And so these girls said, we're going to have to bring in more people of the church. And so they began to alert more people to, to go to her, to, to beg her. Hey, listen, this isn't right. What you're doing is wrong. You need help. We're here to help you. We're here to love you. We're not here to judge you. We're not condemning you. We want to see you get better. And so they widened the circle. Well, eventually it got to the point where, where many people would need to be known. Because this sin was bad. And she was going in a bad direction. And so some people of the church came to me and they said, hey, we're going to have to alert more people what's going on. Well, this girl's father came to me. He was a well-respected person in the community. And he said, hey, I, I, uh, some people came to me and told me what's going on with my daughter. Under no circumstances will I allow you to ever mention this. And I said, well, we're not, we're not standing up and chastising her. We're not going to stand up and condemn her as a heretic. We're just going to start alerting people because what she's doing is so bad. She needs help. And we love her too much to let her go down that road. And he said, no, this will hurt my reputation. And so I picked up my Bible and I said, listen, let me just explain to you what Matthew 18 says because I'm not trying to hurt anybody's reputation. He took my Bible and he whipped it across my office. I don't care what that says. You won't hurt my reputation. Leaven of the Pharisees, right? Exactly what that is. He doesn't care about his daughter's heart. He doesn't care about his daughter's soul. He doesn't care that she's heading headlong into bad sin. All he's concerned about is how that would impact his reputation. Fear of people, not fear of God, right? That's the issue here. He's saying, guys, don't do this. Now, he says, here's what's going to happen. Those things that get walled off, God loves people too much to keep it walled off. It will be made known. Those sins that are being walled off will be made known. In fact, look at verse 3. 
He tells these guys, he says, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the private room shall be proclaimed in the housetops. He's telling them, guys, I just want you to know, don't go down that road, because you guys as leaders, I want you to know something. He will expose your hypocrisy. And God does expose the hypocrisy of leaders, doesn't he? And we see that going on in the church frequently. Just in our lifetime, we've seen leaders just tumble down. Why? God loves the church too much to let hypocrites rule it. And so he exposes it. But he's saying, listen, you can wall it off only so long. Now let me give you a little bit of uh, hope because some of you have a look of terror in your eyes right now as you, as you think about this. What's he talking about there when he says that? Well, let me tell you what he's not talking about. If you're dealing with your sin, if you're dealing with your sin, it's all that needs to happen. I remember this verse being threatened against me uh, from a Sunday school teacher as a kid. terrified me. They read this verse and they said, there's going to be this giant movie theater in heaven and everything you've ever done and ever thought will be uh, shown in front of all of your friends. So what are you thinking about now? Oh! <laughs> it's not even remotely close to what the text is saying. Okay, It's not where this is going. It's not that kind of thing. God is not a cruel taskmaster. God loves us too much that if we're walling off a sin, He'll expose it, is what He's saying. If we're dealing with a sin, it's already exposed, right? It's already exposed. So He's telling them, put it out there. The Pharisees, they're over there, and they're plotting my death right now. It will be made known. It will be made known. And it, and it was made known, Right? I mean, in this case, it literally happened. No one calls themselves a Pharisee today, right? There is no church that says, you know, First Church of the Pharisees, right? It's been clear, you know? It's like, no, bad. I don't even know what it means. I just know it's bad, right? Call somebody a Pharisee, you just insulted them. God made it known. God made their sin known. He's telling them, God will make your sin known. Here's the application. Don't sacrifice reality for appearance. Deal with the issue of your heart. Deal with it. Don't let the fear of people push you away from an honest assessment of where your heart is really at. That's what he's getting at. That's the first one. Let's look at the second instruction. Don't sacrifice the soul for the body. Look at verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Right? Don't fear those who kill the body. Now this deals with, with a very uh, intense reality. Being on mission puts us out there in front of people. It puts us in places where people are going to come against us. It puts us at times to be the enemy. Now in this case, everybody but one uh, disciple is going to lose their life. And the one who stays alive, John, is going to be tortured. They don't have a good, you know, their future is going to be very painful as a result of following Jesus. It's a difficult reality. Now, we are lulled into a little bit of a nicer environment in our culture, so, so proclaiming Christ here, I'm not afraid that I'm going to get killed for it today. But there is a reality, though, that I can still fear people, and I can still fear the cost of being on mission for Christ and being Christ-centered. But here's what he's saying. If you fear man, that's short-sighted. It's short-sighted. All that man can do, think about this, all that man can do is send you to heaven earlier 
than what you thought, than what you planned, right? If we all went to a dangerous area and proclaimed Christ in that dangerous area and we lost our lives, and let's say somebody in the room is 35 years old and they go out there and they proclaim Christ and they, and they die for it at 35, what happened? Well, they just went to be with Christ at 35 rather than 85 or whatever they thought they might live. But he's saying, don't, don't, don't worry about that. Because once they kill you, there's nothing else they can do to you. That's what he's saying. But then look at verse 5. Here It gets very sober here. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now what's he saying? Don't fear people who can only send you to heaven. Fear the one who actually has the power to send you to hell. That's the point. Now, we've got to let that point hang there for a minute. It's a, it's a heavy point. We don't want to move on too quickly to, to, to let the point miss you. I want you to catch this. Here's, here's a simple statement you can get. Eternity is more important than time. Eternity is more important than time. What do I mean by that? If I am thinking only in the context of time, and my loving you and sharing the gospel with you and being a gospel-centered person in your life means that you are going to make my life uncomfortable. If all I'm living for is this moment in time, then the last thing I really want to do is share the gospel with you. Because I'm just living for this time, and if all I want to live for is this time, then I want to be happy. Right? You think about this. God, God is very good at putting people in our life who need Christ. Right? What does that mean? That means they're really difficult to be around. Why are you surrounded by so many complex and complicated people? Because you are a missionary of the Gospel of Jesus Christ to tell those people they can be reconciled to God. And loving them costs you everything, doesn't it? Loving them costs you everything. Now, if you're living only for this time, then those are people who become the enemy. They become the enemy. Because they're messing with your time. Time on earth is short. There's a lot of things I want to get done. And the last thing I want to get done is be with you. Because you get in the way of my time. Now, what happens if we think with eternity in view? What happens when we think with eternity in view? Then suddenly time is irrelevant. Because suddenly I realize I'm with God. I've got an eternity with Him. I'm His child. I'm going to be with Him in heaven. So yes, God, I'll accept the call of not only my salvation, but my call as your missionary to be an ambassador of the gospel of reconciliation to this world. And yes, it will cost me, but that's okay. Because the worst thing that this person can do is kill me on earth. And all that means is I go to be with you. That's all that means. It's the worst they can do. So if I see the world in relation to just the few short years I have, then eternity becomes meaningless. And then I fear man. But if I look at the world through the lens of eternity and God, then I fear God. And then I can live on mission. Now, what do we know about this God? Right? Do we, is, do we just let this kind of hang there as a threat? He's going to send you to hell, so you better serve him? No. 
Jesus then tells us about the nature of God, this one in whom we're to fear. Look at verse 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. What's he saying? They understood the illustration there. In the temple, you had sacrifices. They all had a variety of different sacrifices, right? You just read through Leviticus, you see all the different sacrifices. And one of the things that God did is he, he allowed for there to be alternative sacrifices. So in one case, let's say you were to offer a particular animal, a ram, let's say, for sacrifice. But if you didn't have the money, if you were poor, you didn't have the money for a ram, he would then give you the alternative, the generic version. And so quite frequently, sparrows were the generic sacrifice for the poor person. So if I couldn't afford a ram, I could at least go in and purchase the sparrow as the generic sacrifice and offer the sparrow. So everyone understood that saying a, a sparrow is like saying you know, a styrofoam cup. It's just something in this world that doesn't have a lot of value to it. So he says, yeah, you go into the, you go into the temple, and if you need to get a quick sacrifice, two pennies, you can get yourself a sparrow. Uh, you know, you get five sparrows. Sacrifice them, it's good. Now, that meaningless bird has value to God, is what Jesus says. So if the meaningless bird has value to God, what about you? We fear the one who can send us to hell because he's graciously brought us and delivered us to heaven. He cares about us. He loves us. He loves us so much that He knows every detail of our lives. Every detail. So He says, don't be afraid of Him. In one sense, we're not living in terror, but I'm recognizing who He is. Eternity is in His hands. Heaven and hell are in His hands. He has the ability to send me to hell, but He's made a way for me to go to heaven. And therefore, that has to govern how I, how I think. And therefore, I'm not going to exchange my soul that's in His hands for my body on this earth. And I'm not going to protect my body and give it an exchange for my soul. Because serving Christ means that we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to Christ. And we're willing to give up everything to be agents of reconciliation to this world. Well, there's a third piece of instruction that he gives. Third piece of instruction. He says, now don't sacrifice Jesus for religion. Don't sacrifice Him for religion. Look at verse 8. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges Me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now what we're talking about is this, this, this message of, of, of the gospel is Christ-centered. It's not about religion or spirituality. I would never stand up and say all roads lead to God. I come with a very exclusive message. There's one way to have peace with God. It is through Jesus Christ. Period. Done. No other way. Sometimes... In a, or in a context like this, I should say, you guys all go, amen. Praise God. There are other settings where if we were to say that, they're going to say, are you telling me I'm wrong? You say lovingly, yes. You're on a very dangerous road. One way, Jesus Christ. Now, 
It takes courage to do that. If my fear is in the right place with God, I can acknowledge Christ before men. I can go to the world and tell them Christ has made a way for you to be reconciled. And guess what happens when that goes on? There's this incredible moment that happens. It's a moment sometimes we, we, we've talked about here in the past, but, but we have to really uh, understand the essence of this moment. When we gather here in this room, Ephesians 3 tells us that there are actually angels watching this moment. It's an incredible thought, isn't it? There are actually angels watching this moment. And what the angels are seeing is a bunch of people gathered in a room that not all have the same likes, that are from different cultures, different backgrounds, different upbringings. They look at the world from a different point of view. There are some people that would be on one side of a political perspective and other people on another side of a political spectrum. Some from one nationality to another, right? From one region of the world to the other. Some of you were raised in other countries. We've got all kinds of these, these things that make us different. But in Christ, we gather together as one body. Now the value in coming together to church is that we get to come and actually be one body. And when the angels look down and see the sea of people here from all these different backgrounds, all one in Christ, you know what happens? They go, Father, you are awesome. Only you could have done this. Only you could have collected this group of people, put them in a room together, and made them worship you. There's nothing else in the world that could have collected this group of people and bound them the way that you have. And the angels worship God. Now when we go out there and we're agents of that mission of reconciliation, and I go out there and I proclaim Christ to somebody, I'm sitting at a restaurant and I'm telling somebody about Jesus and how they can be reconciled to God, guess what happens? Jesus says to the angels, hey, the gospel's going on, angels. The gospel's going on. And the angels look down. Peter tells us in wonderment, I just don't even understand this grace. I long to understand what's going on there. And this whole heavenly worship starts going on. Isn't that incredible? So this is what's happening. And Jesus says, when you proclaim me, you know what's going on? You're part of this whole divine worship thing. But when you back away from me, That's not happening. That worship is void. That worship is void. This is when you proclaim me, man, you're going to be part of this whole heavenly component. All of this, it's a divine, sacred moment. And when you back away, when you become afraid of man, you're disconnecting from that moment of worship. Now here's the question. How does Christ respond to us if we back away? Does he become angry? Will he chastise us? What happens? Because we've all backed away, right? We've all had a moment where we've lost our courage. We've all had a moment where we've withdrawn our love. We've all had a moment where we've built a wall against people whom God has clearly put in our life to do otherwise. So, how does he respond? Verse 10 tells us. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, many have really struggled over this, so, but I think it's pretty clear if you can see the point. He says, listen, you could have that moment when you back away. Didn't Peter do that? Right? Just in weeks to come from this moment when Jesus said this, he's going to deny Jesus three times. 
And on the third time, he's actually going to cuss him out. He's actually going to say some bad names about Jesus. Call him bad names. It's, just, it's a bad moment. And Jesus is saying, listen, I understand that. And at that moment, you'll be forgiven. Don't heap coals on your head. But if you back away for another reason, <clears throat> then there won't be forgiveness. What's the reason that would keep that blaspheming the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is a simple thing. You can define it really simply. It means this. When you assign the work of God to the devil, everything that God has done is in the power of His Spirit. Right? It's all, all done. The Spirit comes upon Mary. She conceives Jesus. Everything Jesus does, He's being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit is everywhere. The Spirit raised Christ from the dead. It was the very Spirit of God. It's the very essence of the power of God that is working through everything Jesus has done. Now, some people can back away from Jesus out of fear of that moment, but they love Christ. Jesus is saying, I'll for there's forgiveness there. But if you back away because you say, this is wrong. This is evil. Christ is evil. His power is evil. Everything about this is wrong. Then guess what? There's no hope. Why? You have just shunned the very path of salvation. You just said it's wrong. It's wrong. I've met people, when it comes down to it, and you lay out the Christ to them, they will say, that is wrong. That teaching is evil. That teaching is wickedness. And you look at that and you say, that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever thought in your mind, oh, I think I might have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Oh no, I don't want to be there. You haven't. If you're worried about it, you haven't done it. You can't worry about it. You see, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is actually saying, I could care less. I've written Jesus off. He's evil. He's wickedness. It's what the Pharisees did when they said, you're wicked. He raised people from the dead by the power of the devil. It's out-and-out -out rejection. Right? You reject Christ, you reject him, you call him evil, there's no hope for you. So what's Jesus doing? He's offering some grace here. I understand, you might back away and you'll be forgiven. But don't use that as an excuse to keep doing it. Use that grace to learn how to fear God. That's what he's saying. There's one more set of instruction. The last one. Don't sacrifice the Spirit for self-defense. This leads into what is going to be coming to them. Notice what he says. And when they bring you, I like that, and when they bring you, not if they bring you, when they bring you before the synagogue, because they all will be. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Right? Living out there, living on mission, means that there are going to be times when you will be confronted. There will be times when it, the pressure will be on. In their context, they were literally brought before the very same rulers that tried Jesus and sentenced Him to death. Now Peter, he couldn't handle that at first before the Spirit of God came on Pentecost. And when he was under that pressure, he crushed and fell and denied Jesus. And then the Spirit of God comes upon him. And just a few days, about a few months later, he's able to stand before the very same council that tried Jesus and proclaim him. And the Spirit of God came upon him and gave him those words. 
That's what the Spirit does. If you don't deny the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God gives you the words. Now, I believe that that verse is true in that biggest, grandest sense. Standing before rulers, if we're ever arrested for our faith, we will have the ability to say what we need to say. We don't need to fear. And I also believe if it's true there, it's also true on the small moments as well. Right? Let me give you an example of this. Kevin is here, Kevin Jesmer. He and I were having a meeting a few months ago at my office talking about Canada. Remember this, Kevin? We were sitting there about 5 o'clock. We're about ready to wind up the meeting. And uh, this woman walks in the office. And she says, in one hour, there's going to be a candlelight vigil at the courthouse. uh, Remembering those who have died of cancer. And also uh, supporting those who have cancer. The priest who's in charge has just canceled. Would you do it? Are you a pastor? Could you do it? Okay. I'll talk, Kevin. You, You pray. Okay? That will be our task. Now, I don't know anything about this moment. I know nothing other than in one hour I'm going to be standing on a courthouse and they want me to say something to the people. So I say, Kevin, we should pray, right? What should we say? So we pray and thinking it through. I have my Bible. I jot down a couple of notes, but I'm a little intimidated by this because I don't know who's going to be there standing out on the courthouse steps and, and, and we're going to be remembering people who have died of cancer. It's not a Christian event. It was a community event. And so... Uh, I don't know what to say. And, and so I, I'm in Psalms. I write down a couple of notes, put them on a post-it note in my Bible. We get out there. We discover that we're in charge of the event. That, that the guy who, was, who canceled, canceled and didn't tell anybody anything what to do. So they're like, what should we do? How should we do this? Okay, yeah, okay. Not only are we saying something, I guess we're running the event. Okay, we'll do that. So things get set up and, and uh, we chat with the people and... Uh, And then we get up on the steps, and it's pitch dark. I can't see any of the notes. I can't even read my Bible. Just, I don't know, 60, 100 people. I don't know how many people are out there. I can't count. Whatever. People out there. And so I just say, Spirit, believe you'll give me the words to say. Because I can't read my notes. I can't read my Bible. And I didn't even know that I was in charge. And you know what? God answers that prayer. He can put you in those situations and the words will be there. He's saying, listen, don't fear your own skill sets. Don't don't say, okay, I I need to be confident. I need to have all these things. Before I can go do this moment, I have to make sure that I am completely comfortable, that I've got it all worked out, that I've got everything all mapped out and I've thought through every contingency of everything. He says, stop that. Trust that God is present and that His Spirit is there and He will give you the words. You walk with that view of the presence of God. Don't fear what to say. Don't fear what to say. The Spirit of God is there. So there's there's the issue here. So here's what he's getting at. He's telling them, guys, put your fear in the right place. Put your fear in God. Trust Him. The power of life and death are in His hands and He's made a way for you to have life. And He's provided you His Spirit. Lay there so that you don't sacrifice the wrong things and give in to the fear of man or the fear of persecution or the fear of your own skill set. Don't fear man, fear God. Don't fear the government, fear God. 
Don't worry about your reputation. Fear God. Don't worry about your body. Fear God. What's the take home? Let me just give you three things and then we'll, I'll wrap it up here. Three things just to, that you can kind of take as, a, as some things to think about. The first is this. We have to deal with the condition of our hearts. If we're really going to take to heart what Jesus is saying, the value has to be on our hearts. What is really going on there? Have you let bitterness or anger or hatred? Has somebody so hurt you in your life that you, you have built a wall up and you've written that person off? That is more important to God than anything else that you could do for Him. The heart has to take precedence. What is going on in your heart? Is there somebody you're not forgiving? Is there some sinner God has put in your life that you're going to forgive, but you might not ever experience restitution on earth for it? Can you go there? It's a journey, it's a process. It's a long road. I'm not telling you it's going to happen once. Sometimes forgiveness is done in installment payments. But at the end of the day, that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with. What's the condition of your heart? Second, second take home. We have to examine who we look to for approval, God or man. I mean, we've got to have that honest evaluation. Who am I looking to? If I want the approval of men, then I will always live in the temporal and sacrifice the eternity. And thirdly, we must depend on the power of the Spirit over the power of our own mind as we engage the world. We have to trust that God will give me what I need at any given moment. That His Spirit is real. I think if these become the take-home points and that we meditate on these things, I think we're listening to what Jesus said to the disciples there, and we'll live on mission. We'll be fearing the right things. If we ignore these things, we'll be susceptible to false teaching, and we'll be dis- completely disengaged from the mission. You bow your head with me. Let's just pray together and just pray that God would work in our hearts to cause us to take these truths to heart. Father, I just pray now for all of us. We are a collection of people who struggle. There is not one perfect person in this room. Everyone in this room is dealing with having misplaced fears. But we need Your help. We need You now to come upon this, our lives and come upon this moment to, to cause us to see You. God the Father, the One who has the ability to deal with eternity. Life and death is in Your hands. Lord, may we keep our focus on You and on what's most important. Lord, may we surrender these fears to You. May we walk in complete trust and cling to You for all that we have and are. May we depend on Your Spirit for those in this room that have withheld forgiveness from friends and family members and people in our lives, Lord, please begin to break down those walls. Thank You for putting these non-believers in our lives because we are missionaries of reconciliation to this world. Lord, may we stand strong in Your grace and in Your Spirit to be a missionary and to keep eternity in view. 
Lord, may we live on mission, fearing You, knowing that we're loved by You, that Your Spirit's empowered us to do this. So in our weakness, be our strength. In Christ's name, amen.